Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. So I invite you to turn to Romans 14. We'll seek God's grace to look uh, in depth at what this passage has to say to us. 1980, a young seminary graduate moved his family to California for the express purpose of starting a new church. He was aware of the challenges of ministering the gospel in a a very difficult uh, cultural environment in Southern California, and he found the, the early years to be very discouraging. Uh, People didn't seem to be very interested in joining a new church, not very interested in the gospel or in God's word. He did something at that point, rather than just give up, he decided to survey the neighborhoods around where he was trying to start this church and just ask people, ordinary people, unsaved people, he decided to ask them what they would like in a church. What would please them? Uh, he found out that they don't really care too much for church music. What kind of music do you like? And so he would take notes of all of this. And What else do you not like about church? Well, I don't like having to get dressed up. All right, took note of that. Several other aspects of uh, personal ideas that people had that, yeah, that's just their reason for not being interested in church. And he thought, well, why not adopt those kinds of characteristics and have a church that pleases people? Now, at that point in 1980, that was kind of a radical idea. What he found is that when he made those changes and started coming in his, uh, himself, uh, coming to church to lead the service and to preach God's word, he was coming in his Saturday morning work around the house clothes and encouraged other people to do the same. They used uh, uh, music that sounded very familiar to what people were listening to on their radio only now it had Christian words. And other aspects of the service, all designed to please people, what he found is that if you please people, people are more apt to come. And his church grew tremendously to the point where it eventually became the largest Southern Baptist church in the whole country. People started flocking to that church. Pastors by the thousands across the country would come to find out, how did you do this? What did you have to do in order to get so many people to come to your church? And he became a model example of how to carry on ministry. What he discovered, though, has actually always been true ever since the fall of man. People like to be pleased. In fact, this is a human characteristic that we all carry 
that we assume that we not only like to be pleased, we assume we have a right to be pleased. A right to please ourselves in all of our personal choices. A right to have things the way I like to have them. What was different about this man is that he decided to incorporate that philosophy of living, which is characteristic of people around the world, and bring it into the church and say, it's okay for us to please people. It's okay for you to be pleased. And furthermore, we are sure that if you are pleased, that God is pleased as well. Now, that last one was a huge assumption. Pleasing people, that's pretty easy to do. Pleasing God, is that quite so easy? Of course, it does seem more spiritual rather than claiming it as, I have a right to please myself. You know how we clean that up uh, theologically? We say, I have a Christian liberty to please myself. I can choose personal standards that please me. And that's a right I have because of Christian liberty. It does sound kind of more spiritual, doesn't it? We can satisfy ourselves that that's actually something that is biblical. When in fact, it's not biblical at all. We have no such right. Pleasing self actually goes directly against the gospel. And this book of Romans that is all about the gospel, Paul's most in-depth exposition of why we need the gospel and what it required of Christ And all that goes into the uh, uh, ramifications of how to live the gospel settles here in chapter 14 to correct this widespread misunderstanding among even God's people that you don't have a right to choose to please yourself even in your personal convictions, how you decide your personal standards, how you decide how to use your, uh, your discretionary time, your forms of entertainment, pleasing self? No, that's actually all backward. This passage maintains that Jesus Christ alone is Lord of your life. He is the only one who has a right to be pleased. And in that statement, the word right, he has a right to insist that your choices please him. It's exactly the heart of this whole passage. Christ has that right, and Paul is going to uh, go into depth here to assert and show that Christ has earned that right. He is Lord of your life. And on that basis, 
Your responsibility is to choose to please him. Rather than asking the question, what would I like? To ask the question, what would Christ like? Now to communicate that, Paul introduces a second example. In the first four verses earlier this morning, we saw Paul choose the first example, and that is whether or not an individual is going to include meat as a part of their dietary routine. Uh, and there's, there are some differences among people, uh, and there are some, and Paul knew some in his day, for whom it was a matter of a religious conviction. I don't think I ought to eat meat was a conclusion some people came to. Paul called them, in, in the first few verses, he called those people uh, weak in faith. The reality is, meat is okay. That we actually have some verses that would indicate that. We're not going to turn there now, but Mark chapter 7, Acts chapter 10, God makes a point of that with Peter and the sheet that came down and so forth. That uh, reality is God has made all food available to us, and meat is okay. Some Christians might not know that, might not have concluded, just not clear to them. But Paul's point in the first four verses is, leave those people alone because they don't have to eat meat. It's okay if they don't. You don't even have to pity them that they don't get that enjoyment. Just let them uh, make up their own mind about that. But now Paul shifts gears, and in verse 5, he introduces a second example. And this second example actually moves into a whole different category, because there is a, a right and a wrong, not a sinful, but a, there is a right and wrong, and that first example, actually eating meat is okay for God, for, uh, in God's perspective. But in this one, he says, the second example, one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. This seems to be how to observe a special day of the week. Are there certain things you ought to do on that day that you don't do on another day? Are there some things that you should not do on this one particular day that in other days of the week it's okay Paul is suggesting that we can have differences among us on that, and it's okay. But here's the distinction. In this example, neither side is labeled either weak or strong. Paul doesn't take sides on this one. The implication there is that Neither one has an upper hand in, the, uh, in understanding God's Word. This one is totally neutral. Uh, on the other one, you can imagine, well, maybe after this person grows in the Lord, he'll come to realize what those verses say that tell us that, you know, meat is actually okay. And this one, this example, observing days, there's no prospect that eventually the other person will get it. In fact, Paul says, let's not even plan on progress here. Let's plan on stability on this point. 
Look what he says at the end of verse 5. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. You settle for yourself and stay there. Don't be planning on, sh- don't, don't be every new year re-examining, now what changes am I going to make in my personal standards just for variety's sake? No, you settle this and you stay there. Be fully persuaded in his own mind. Well, wait a minute. How can I ever be quite that confident in any of my choices? How can I know for sure that this particular activity, this particular personal standard is where I need to be the rest of my life? How can I know that? Well, how do we normally settle these things? Well, the issue of eating meat. Am I going to eat meat or not in my life? You know what? I kind of like meat. I think I'll eat meat. Personal preference. It's what I like. Is that good enough? Paul is about to tell us, no, that's not good enough. Be fully persuaded just because you like it? Now, there's another whole way that we are supposed to be analyzing and choosing those. See, you must select the options that honor the Lord. That's the point of verses 5 through 9. Options that honor the Lord. Your personal standards must fulfill God's purpose. Where does Paul say that? Well, he says it first of all in verse 6. You have a choice to make, and that choice must be to please the Lord. Now, Paul says it in verse 6, but it's a little bit um, uh, challenging to see the clarity of it in English. It says in verse 6, He that regardeth the day, observes a particular day in a special way, regardeth it unto the Lord. And the same thing for the other person. He that regardeth not the day, the one who regards every day alike, it's to the Lord that he doth not regard it. And it works the same way with eating meat. Paul's first example. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. He that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. What does this to the Lord mean? That's actually the crucial part of this whole passage. Now, can we take just a moment for a very brief Greek lesson? Do you mind? It really is going to be helpful, I think, because that preposition to the Lord, unto the Lord, some translations call it for the Lord, This is all various ways of expressing in English something that is actually quite precise in Greek. A Greek student looking at this phraseology uh, of the grammar uh, that Paul used would be wondering, well, what is that dative case? It's just the Lord in the dative case, 
And he got, a Greek student has various options, and no, it can't be that, can't be that. He's left with only one that fits, and it's called the dative of advantage. All right, I'll let you have that phrase there to impress your friends. You know about the dative of advantage? Oh, you don't? Okay. Now you can be on the inside of this. The date of advantage says something very important here. The one who decides, I'm going to eat meat, decides that not on the basis of whether he likes meat or not, but whether him eating meat can be advantageous for the ministry of the gospel, for the Lord. Can what I choose on this, in this category further the purposes of Christ? Can it be for his benefit? What would benefit Christ the most if I ate meat or didn't? If I observed a particular day in a special way, different from other days or not? Which one would serve the Lord the best? Let's say that one other way. Which one would please the Lord the most? That's the one I'm going to pick. Well, what if pleasing the Lord the most means you don't eat meat? And you really like meat. Which is more important, to please yourself or please the Lord? Paul says there's no contest there. Whichever choice you make on either of these two issues and all the other personal standard issues you have to settle for yourself, it's either please yourself or please the Lord. There's only one option left. You have to please the Lord. Your personal standards must fulfill God's purpose. And you must be grateful for the opportunity. Notice he says, even the one who doesn't eat gives God thanks. Thank you for the opportunity to serve your purposes by me not eating meat, even though I like meat. Self-sacrifice of what pleases me Because I am committed to please him. Doesn't that put a whole different perspective on choices? Well, how does Christ get to make that kind of a a decision for me? On what basis does he have this right? Well, that's where Paul, in verses 7 through 9, these are some of the most impactful verses in this whole book. He gives this broader theological basis for things as mundane as eating meat or not. Verse 7, he continues to use this dative of advantage. He says, but notice how broad this gets. This is not just eating meat or not. None of us liveth for his own advantage. There's the reality in your life. 
You don't have the right to live for your advantage, to please yourself. None of us liveth for his own advantage to please himself, and no man dieth for himself, for his own advantage, in order to please himself. You see, that one phrase alone eliminates the whole concept of euthanasia. I, my, I just hurt too, too badly. It's just, I'm in too much pain. I don't want to live anymore. Now, it doesn't matter how much pain you're enduring. You don't get to decide when you die. God decides that. You don't live to please yourself, and you can't even die to please yourself. Christ controls your whole existence. So verse 8, whether we live, we live, there it is again, for the Lord's advantage. And whether we die, we die for the Lord's advantage, to accomplish His purpose, to please Him. And now he's going to change up the, the wording a little bit to draw his conclusion. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. We belong to him. In other words, I'm his servant. My whole purpose for existence is to please him, not to please myself. Verse 9 wraps up this theological basis of the mundane things of everyday life and our personal choices. He says, for to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived. It was to get to this point that Christ decided to die and that he came back to life again. Why? That he might be Lord. Lord of, the, of both the dead and the living. Your Lord. We get used to that word Lord. We forget what does it, what does it actually mean. It means he is the master. I'm his servant. I must do what pleases him. Which means now we're left with this checklist of all the things that we thought it was okay for us to pick whatever we liked. And now to realize you've got to go back over that list and think, well, yeah, I picked that because I like that. I like that, uh, I, I like that particular uh, program on television. Uh, I enjoy this particular activity, and that's why I do it. Wait a minute. Maybe I need to go back and ask the right question. Lord, does it please you that I spend this much time every week engaged in that activity? Is that the most important productive use of my time? 
Oh, but what if that's your favorite uh, hobby? Are you willing to ask that hard question? Lord, I, I really do enjoy this, and I hope, <laughs> I hope I can still do it, but I need to know, does this please you? By the very atonement of his shed blood and his life today, Christ deserves your submission. He earned the right to be your master. He earned the right to determine your choices. How do we normally determine our personal standards, our convictions? Well, they come to us either by inheritance, that's the way I always did it, or by preference, that's the way I like to do it. But we're not asking the question, Lord, what would please you most? I'd like to suggest that based on this passage, you re-examine what you wear, you re-examine what you watch, what you listen to, what you read, where you go, how you spend your free time. All of these personal choices where you've just assumed you've got a right. You give that right to the Lord and you ask Him, what would please you most? You might do well to expect to make some changes as God directs you. You might be thinking right now, whoa, um, asking too much here. This is going, uh, this is getting too personal. Uh, this, this is too many things. This is too big. Uh, I, I don't think I want to go there. What would be the consequence of saying, no, no I, I, I just don't think so? What if you just continue to live the way you want to? Any problem with that? Well, these next few verses, Paul says, well, keep in mind something. One day you are going to explain your decisions that ignore God's word. There there is coming a day of accountability. This is one of three passages in Scripture that describe what we call, what this passage calls, the judgment seat of Christ. It gets a few other terms in the other passages, but it's all the very same event. And as near as we can tell, this happens sometime during the tribulation period after the rapture. The judgment seat of Christ where God's people were not being judged whether or not we're going to hell or heaven because you're not even a part of this judgment unless you've trusted Christ as Savior. But he's going to ask, apparently, some pointed questions about the choices that you made while you were on this earth. So Paul, and here he goes back to uh, the subject he brought up at the beginning of this chapter. In verse 10, uh, he says, you're going to explain these decisions and God's going to ask these questions. Why do you judge your brother? 
In other words, I told you to stop being critical of people that are different from you. Why did you keep doing it? Why didn't you stop when you saw that passage in Romans 14? That's going to be a hard question. Or why do you set it not your brother? Why do you despise him? Why are you so critical? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to be asking, why were you critical of a fellow believer? Well, Lord, didn't you see the choices that he was making? And I don't just don't think those were best. But I told you, I'm his master. He only has to answer to me. Well, Lord, I don't understand why you would direct different servants to have different conclusions about how they ought to live. I think one of the things we might hear the Lord say was, well, don't you know that I place my servants in all kinds of different environments? Different families, different communities, different cultures in the world. And it serves my purpose best if, I, if in this particular environment, I direct my servant to adopt these particular characteristics, which aren't sinful, but they serve me best. But somebody who's going to serve me over here it's best if they have some differences there and I can use them more effectively for the gospel with those characteristics. Which is why he would say, let everyone be fully persuaded in his own mind. God's plan is singular for each person. Don't you think I knew about that? The Lord might ask. He might also ask, why did you continue to please yourself in your personal choices? Didn't you read that in Romans 14, that I earned the right to tell you how to live? That I have the right for your choices to please me instead of pleasing yourself? Didn't you see that? How are we going to answer him on that day? He's going to question you. Verse 11, Paul, Paul asserts, this is not just a new idea. This, this goes back to something God said in the Old Testament. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. All right, this is going a little bit further. It's not just that he's going to answer, ask the questions. You will have to give some answers. Every tongue will confess. So, verse 12, you will answer him. And there's going to be no getting around. There's going to be no circumventing reality. He's going to see through every excuse. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You see, there will be no exceptions here. You will be part of this. He'll accept no excuses. Can you imagine on that day, Christ says, now tell me, why were you continuing to please yourself? 
I, I, I imagine us just kind of blurting out the reality. Well, Lord, I'm really, I was really selfish and really uh, just focused on myself and I should have been pleasing you. And Oh, my, what did I just say? You just said the truth. He's telling us this in advance so we won't have to face those hard questions and have to give the embarrassing answers. How do you avoid that? Make the changes now. Choose to please him now instead of pleasing yourself. Asking for his forgiveness. Father, I haven't been alert to this need. I haven't been tuned into the reality of my own self-centeredness. Would you forgive me for every instance of pleasing myself and not even thinking about what would please you? Would you help me, Father, re-examine my decisions? Now, some of them might not need the change. Maybe he is pleased. We don't know. The point is, you don't know unless you ask him. What would please you most? Father, I'm willing to change whatever you want me to change. I don't have to be pleased. I must please you. That kind of commitment is going to be better equipped to give answers at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that church in California, tens of thousands of people, members of that church, largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention, but they kept on finding more and more ways to please people year after year. It reached a point in 2022 that they decided for the first time to ordain three women to the position of pastor. Why would they do that? Because it pleased people. So that not only uh, violated the Southern Baptist standards, it also, of course, violates God's word. But they thought, well, I think we're too big, we're too powerful, we're too important for them to do anything about it. Well, they found out differently last winter when the executive committee of the convention voted to expel their largest church from the convention. Well, the church appealed. They wanted a vote from the whole uh, convention or at their annual meeting. So that took place in June. And, they were, uh, and, and the vote of the executive committee was confirmed. They voted that church out. So did that church repent and say, I guess we were wrong all along? No, in fact, it, they, they just with, uh, uh, it almost seemed to me with a haughtiness says, well, we don't care what you think. I think they're pro- they probably don't. And I don't think this church is going to struggle. I think they'll continue. As long as they're pleasing people, they'll continue to grow. 
But there's coming a day when they are going to face a single judge. Now, that's between them and God. Far more important is that you are going to face that same judge. He's going to have some questions for you. Would you like to have some good answers at that point? This passage says, ask him what would please him. Ask him that now. Redirect your, whatever changes this requires, God, that is what I want to do. Let's take just a moment with heads bowed. As before we close the service, I'd like to give you a little bit of time, just a few moments to tell the Lord how you plan to respond to his word today. There really are only two choices. God, I think you're right, and I want to know how I can please you better. Or no, I don't agree. I think I have a right to please myself. And that's the way I plan to continue to live. I would urge you in the quietness of these moments, make the first choice and tell the Lord that right now. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.